Hello, I'm Emily Grace, and welcome to the Stages podcast of Bernstein Private Wealth. Life throws lots of challenges at us. We're here to address them. For today's conversation, I've invited Marvina Robinson, founder and CEO at B. Stuyvesant Champagne, to join us on the stage. After more than two decades spent working on Wall Street, Marvina followed her dream and created her own champagne, along with a tasting space in which to enjoy it. Marvina, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very kindly for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited about today. I'm so excited to have you here. And I have to say, I mean, the first question that I know people are going to want to know, and as somebody who is on Wall Street myself, Uh how do you make the transition from Wall Street to creating your own champagne? I mean, like, what, what got you interested in going after bubbly? I would say it is not a traditional transition. It was not a planned transition. Champagne was something I always enjoyed. uh, And I decided doing a little bit more research on the weekends, I would leave work, go to France, do some research, look for venues to partner with me, return home, wasn't decided what I wanted to do. And then one day I just decided this is it. This is, I'm gonna take this leap of faith and go and produce my private label of B. Stuyvesant. So what did, what did your friends and family think about this? Uh, my dad was like, all this education you have and you want to go sell wine. That is the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> and what, what, what does what he does think he today? Uh, I don't know. Well, unfortunately, he's not here with us today. Oh. But as my mom says, she's probably saying he's proud. It's funny because when my dad said that, I was not a happy camper and I was leaving their house. So my mom comes behind me because she's like, she's like, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. He's, he's <laughs> so, just surprised. He was telling all of his friends that his daughter was on Wall Street. <laughs> and now my mother's very happy. So she, oh. she's my personal bragger, my personal supporter, always is in anything and everything I do. Fantastic. But she does check me when needed. <laughs> that is a very important role. A very <laughs> important role. Speaking of checking you, what was it like to actually introduce a new champagne to the world? I mean, I think about champagne as existing in this world of like corporate marketing powerhouses. Mm-hmm. And there's part of me that's wondering if there was any like corporate espionage or anything. Like what, what was it like to try to introduce a new champagne? It was, it was slash is hard. The, the company Beast Stivers is just two years old, will be three years, February, 2023. But the, the question that everybody always said, is this real champagne or like, or they'll educate you or think they're educating you saying, well, you know, you can't use the word champagne unless it comes from the region of France, the champagne region of France, or it's grown with these grapes. And in my head, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm smart enough to know about the legalities of using the word champagne. I do through my research and just introducing a new champagne. And it just wasn't introducing the champagne. It's the person that's introducing the champagne, right? It's me as a woman, me as a black woman, not probably the norm, not probably, but not the norm to be in the space. So imagine all that rolled into one. And it it wasn't welcomed, I would say initially, which is why our first year of business, we were 100% DTC direct to consumer. Because I no longer wanted to fight with distributors or stores because it was so hard to pitch. And I decided, you know what, let me find another route. I partnered with some shipping companies and we decided I was able to legally ship 
wine, well, champagne, champagne is a wine, ship the champagne to different consumers directly. And that's how the business really took off and it became word of mouth. People decided posting it and sharing with their companies. That's how we ended up getting so many of our corporate clients, word of mouth, sharing, tasting it, realizing this is a great product. One referral to another referral to from one business, being in the newspapers, you know, on news. Our first year we were on NBC, best champagne to have for New Year's. So all of that continued to grow. We were on the same list last year. I'm hoping we're going to land on the list this year. And that's like how it started. And to this day, I still have the, oh, we don't have space for a new champagne or why should we order this champagne? Or it's always some kickback. So what I've begun to do for me and B. Stuyvesant is I kind of take a step back from pitching so hard to stores or distributors and I let them come to me because I feel if you build it, they will come, right? Has that happened? Yes, it's happened, right? And that's how we started getting stores reaching out to us to carry the product. There are certain stores that I do look for because you go to any boutique wine shop or even a larger store, there's a difference in service. For Beef Stuyvesant is a boutique brand. And when I started learning about wine, I wanted to, when I would go to shops, I would ask questions and people were more attentive in the boutique shops answering the questions about the wines where I got a better understanding. And that's how I like Beast Stuyvesant to be marketed. So people understand one, the tasting notes, what it's about compared to other brands versus it just sitting in a shelf on a larger store and there's no commentary around it. Because at that, at that point, you're just going to be like, oh, I'm just going to grab what I know. And you want to, it's their boutique wine shop or a wine shop to introduce consumers to new brands. But guess what? That consumer is always going to keep coming back to you because they learn from you. Like if I can learn from you, I'm going to keep coming to you. So that's how I like to, I envision the Stuyvesant in certain um, shops and how I like to, for it to be viewed. And that's been a huge part of your strategy, if I'm not mistaken, is you've got your own tasting space, in fact, that's all about educating consumers. How did that come about? So we had uh, the first year, so first year we launched February 2020, which is the beginning of the peak of the COVID. We had a warehouse space, totally moved out of that warehouse space because we were sharing it with people. And then I was running the business out of my apartment um, um, during half of COVID. Like it was champagne in the hallway, champagne in the bathroom, champagne in the kitchen, champagne in my bathroom. And this was not celebratory. (laughs) Right, in in my backyard, you know, my staff was working in the backyard. And um, I just decided that we ended up getting great, great space in Bedford-Stuyvesant because I wanted to keep everything Bedford-Stuyvesant. Then, unfortunately, the rent increase was dramatically too high. And I decided for what they were asking, I could find a better place. And I landed up at the Brooklyn Navy Yard where we were able to negotiate a great space. So now I've created a space for my staff where they're comfortable here and also a large space to do wine tastings. And that's exactly what we do. So we call Tuesdays are for tastings, but we began to expand out for different days. So consumers can come in for public or private tastings. And we also host different corporate companies as well. And is it mostly tastings of, because there are different, you have more than one type of champagne. I'm not even sure if I'm asking the question correctly, right? right. So you've got, there's more than one type of champagne. So is it all, is it tastings of different B. Stuyvesant? champagnes or are there other 
like how does it work? So currently it is only B Stuyvesant that consumers can taste and we have eight cuvées in the portfolio. Going into the first second quarter of 2023, I'm going, I'm beginning to import over smaller growers brands where consumers can come in and taste those champagnes as well. Just because I want to stick to my original goal of educating consumers about champagne, expanding their palate. There are so many beautiful growers champagne that's produced over in Champagne, France that doesn't make it here to the state. So what I've been doing over the past couple of years and most recently visiting different houses and um, speaking with them and saying, okay, is this a, a cuvee I want to, a brand I want to import over underneath their own brand and just so that it can be accessible to consumers or recipients here for them to taste and say, okay, wow, this is a new champagne that I like, knowing I want to create a champagne hub in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, basically. What a, I love this idea. I love <laughs> this idea. And I, but when I hear you saying sort of that, there are so many small boutique champagnes that don't find their way over here. What are some, I mean, there must be huge hurdles I can't, to getting champagne in, in the best of times, right? From, mm-hmm. To get champagne from France to the US. What, but during COVID and a pandemic and a supply chain crisis, what did you experience there? And how are you finding it to actually like, are there issues with getting the champagne here? During COVID, I could not get my inventory. So I had to survive on whatever I had left. And then some consumers were patient where they were still submitting orders. Some consumers were patient where they say, well, when it gets here, ship it to us. And some were not. So we kindly refunded their money um, and then started to move forward. There is There are still delays with importing from France over to the the US, especially when you get inbound to the States, there's delays on the waters of unloading the um, actual boats, the cargo boats, and then getting it to the clearing customs and then getting it to your actual warehouse. So there's so many steps that consumers are not aware of, but there's still delays from our perspective as far as importing in. I've tried to be a little bit more strategic with our uh, shipments. Some works, some doesn't work. Being in this situation, I I can't control that process because it's not all of me. There's so many moving parts. You have weather that can affect the travel time of the boat. You have, if there's delays in getting a boat off of the port to get back to France, that's going to throw off your shipments or your deliveries. That's what recently happened to myself. It pushed my incoming shipment back um, two weeks because the boat was delayed leaving New York Harbor to head back. So there's so many different things that can happen in route that you have no control over. And all you can say is like estimated. So anytime I have income and shipments and people asking for definitive dates, I say, I cannot provide you with a definitive date. I can provide you with an estimate due to X, Y, and Z. Those in the industry will understand it. Some will not. And I, that's how I operate. Because if I guarantee somebody something or I say definitely, they can easily hold it to me. And then from there, that's going to be what you said. And I don't, I don't want to be in that situation where I have to explain what I said was not accurate. Right. That it, that it was out of your control. Yes. So as much as I can do, I'll do as much as I can, but if not, I always leave myself, myself. And I learned the hard way to leave myself wiggle room. Like I always want to say, okay, if it gets here before I'm like, yes, Yes. (laughs) You know, if not, then I'm like, oh, okay, this is expected. 
And I'm a person, I monitor my my shipments. Like on Maritime, you can go on and monitor your boat, your boat information. Yes. Like I wake up in the morning, I look at the boats to see where my boats are at. <laughs> it's the best app, by the way. I know that app. It's unbelievable what you can see and know. And, and, then, and then you get to see how, where everything is coming from. And then all the little dots that's moving. It's just like, wow. Like you never realize how many boats is actually on these on the waters. Yes. It's, it's interesting in listening to you speak about this though, because I would not find, I would not think there was much similarity between sort of the stock market and, Mm -hmm. you know, champagne. But as I'm hearing you talk about sort of the things out of your control, it is interesting, right? Because we spend a lot of time in my business thinking about, right, how, what do you do when something you're not expecting impacts the stock market and mm-hmm. how do we help our clients through these? Right. So here's like, like, yes. <laughs> right. How do you think through all of this? And mm-hmm. so, so there is more similarity than I would have thought, including yeah. that a lot of what I do here and we do with our clients is helping them through, you know, different stages of their life. Mm-hmm. And champagne, I feel like, is one of those drinks that is very <laughs> much about different stages of your life, yeah. right? When you think about it, it's, you know, graduation or engagement or marriage or a mm-hmm. promotion. You know, do you tend to lean into that or, you know, how do you think about sort of marketing champagne? I think champagne is for any day of the week. Um, mm. I say you don't need a special occasion to pop a bottle. It can be for the good and for the bad. Uh, you have different cuvées that can pair well with your foods. You just find different cuvées that matches it. And you can just actually sip and enjoy it. You can eat with it, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner. It's always <laughs> breakfast. Five it's always five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> as long as you don't have to work, be responsible. Yes. Um, and you just like enjoy it. Like it's any other wine. It just happens to be a little bit more on a pricier side because champagne is actually one of the few wines that's very expensive to make. But, you know, just like you enjoy it, uh, whether it's a, a, a Chardonnay or Cabernet or Pinot Noir or Malbec, same yes. scenario. You just have to, you just have a little, you have it being carbonated and you have to get a different type of stopper to preserve it for the next day if you have leftovers. Can you preserve it for the next day? You absolutely can. So what's the you, trick? Oh, you have to get a, a good um, preserver. So Carvin Sparkling is one of the top ones where you use their their stoppers and they have like a gas where it takes the air out of the bottle and it preserves champagne for up to two weeks. Wow. I just, I, I'm learning a lot today. <laughs> Stick with me. No. <laughs> I know what's going on my Christmas list. <laughs> right? <laughs> Fantastic. Now, when you talk about sort of the eight different cuvées mm-hmm. and that, you know, it can go with every meal and, you know, different type of food, how involved are you yourself in sort of making the, t- like creating the taste of the wine? Or is this something that you, you know, you work with some, like how involved do you get in that side? So I am very involved with the vineyard where it's more like not hands-off. So I visit quarterly, unless like this past summer I didn't go, just came back. And we talk about the tasting notes, what is, what I'm describing as a tasting note that I like. From there, samples are produced and we decide, okay, we're going to move forward forward with these. 
this process started over three, four years ago. So it's not new. We just have them lined up. And now we're saying this is ready for that we could put into production. This has a smaller, like we have some um, limited editions that are smaller quantities. So those are not always in full production or they can come in the following year. We just have to wait to get more wine. And you know, wine is only created during the harvest season, which is once a year to see what we can produce. So I'm very involved. Obviously, I'm not the direct winemaker. That's the that's what the expertise of the vineyard is. But we do work hand in hand. And I'm very articulate. And I'm also curious where I want to be more hands on. So I do talk and I work with them in certain times and periods. I go back just to help out um, within the um, within the fields if I can. Um, want to work with pruning, want to work with the harvest, you know, watching, doing the grape press, loading the grapes after the after they picked and calculated into the system to get the first press. The first press is the juice. And then that goes into the tank, the tanks, which can creates the, um, the the wines, which, you know, from from the flat wines, then it goes to the second second fermentation and from the fermentation. That's where you actually get the champagne because you're adding your yeast and your sugar. And that's going to make your bubbles um, organically. They're not organic. I'm just saying organically, naturally. They're not right, naturally. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that to- that word has so many different meanings now. Yes. Right? What am I saying? <laughs> right. Lots of different meanings. But so so you'll go over and you'll help sort of say, here's what I'm thinking about. Here's what I'd like. Here's how we'd like to see it go. How much control do does anybody have over the taste of a champagne? Oh, the, the, the head of the, the head winemaker has the control because you can, you have your grapes, you know what your grape profiles are, if you want to, depending on the dosage, the dosage of the sugar content. So it depends actually on the grapes and basically from there, they can make the decisions because remember, you always have wine reservoir from previous harvest seasons. Okay. So all of that, there comes a stage of mixing. Imagine making um, macaroni and cheese. Everybody has a recipe, right? So yes. wine head. Oh, sorry, not wine head. The head of the head wine okay. master has their own recipe. So from there, that's when we begin to talk about what can occur, what can't, or here are some suggestions. Like if a chef, when you open up a restaurant, a chef said, here, well, here's three different steaks that I like. Here's what you like. Here's what I like. What do you recommend for this? Okay. So then marrying it all together. Mm-hmm. Now, how were you talked about sort of reception when you were trying to sort of get, uh, get the champagne into the wine stores here mm-hmm. what was the reception when you sort of showed up in France looking for a vineyard looking for vineyards to work with how did they respond to a black woman saying I want to be in the champagne business some were yay some were nay some were heck nay <laughs> wow. um, and then you just have to you like for me I've always worked in in industries that are underrepresented right yeah. so for me it's more like okay on to the next. That's how I look at it. At certain points, there are some parts of my journey where I did get, I was a little like discouraged. And in those points, as an entrepreneur, anybody wanting to get to their goal, you do get discouraged when you get pushed back. So for me, there were points that I did get discouraged, but at that time I was like, I can't sit and sulk in this discouraged. I just got to figure out somebody, because I just was trespassing on people's property. Somebody's going to say yes. And then my it's not even about even saying yes but understanding that i want like it's me that's doing the controlling of the, of the business where what are we producing like w- this is what i know i wanted to produce seven i want to i knew i wanted to have different size bottles right 
whether they were full size, half size, magnums, gerald bombs, mini bottles, because they all serve a purpose here for me when I'm thinking about marketing. Yes. Over in France, sometimes those bottles aren't as common, such as the mini bottles are a little bit more harder to produce, but we're actually producing them for the first time for this upcoming holiday season where it was a challenge to really get it into production. So we said, okay, we're going to do a certain set of bottles this year. That's what we're going to do. And we'll do it quarterly. Nothing that has to be produced year round because it is very hard to produce. And having a vineyard to understand my vision and understand like there's they, they're op open to my creativity because sometimes yeah. like I'll go around in a circle and I'm like, okay, we want to do this. We want to do this. We want to do this. And then also you have to have the patience and the structure to realize we're in business together. We're partners in producing this private label for myself. But at the same time, we have to communicate by email. We have to communicate by phone. We have to communicate by Zoom. And all of that does take time and, and, and patience. So that was one of the key aspects I needed to make sure it was a good fit when I decided that this is who I'm working with to produce B Stuyvesant. Who you were, who you were comfortable partnering with. Yes. And if you, if you think about it, you're in a relationship together and you'll have things that will go great, won't go great. Sometimes um, they have to do some of the leg, leg work on that side as far as like, if we can't, like before we started recording, we were talking about foils and aluminum's like, what are some alternatives? What can we produce? Like, this is what we have in inventory right now. Let's just use this for now until we get our new our new flows coming in. So just having workarounds where it's just not me having to lead it, but I also have the backbone of the venue to say, hey, here's some other, um, other options that we can explore. What do you think, right? Because everybody faces setbacks in life, mm -hmm. right? Whether they're entrepreneurs or on Wall Street or, you know, teacher, you know, everybody faces setbacks. What do you think prepared you to sort of push through those setbacks and not sort of walk away? Um, I've always been like that. I've always been like, I'm going to figure it out. No means yes and yes means, you know, like, Yes, Ms. Mean, yes and no. Pravina, no. Okay, yes. no, sorry. All of our listeners, no does not mean yes. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I just, when I have a goal and I, something that I want, I'm very resourceful. Like I'm a very diligent researcher that I live on my laptop at night and I just research and research and I come up with different ideas and I try to figure out how can I bring this to manifestation? Like how can I bring this to life? And just knowing like if you accept a no or accept you just being turned away, every time somebody turns me away, am I supposed to just walk away or am I supposed to say, okay, hey, as long as I'm not breaking any laws, yes. I'm okay with trying to figure out, get a path. Or sometimes the end path might be not where you're supposed to end up at. So to take a step back, B Stuyvesant wasn't originally created to be retail and retail stores. I was opening up a champagne bar and B Stuyvesant was really the house brand for the house champagne for the champagne bar. And that's really what my business was. Because of COVID, wow. I had to pivot and I ended up using the inventory for stores. And that's really how the business grew. So I had pushback on getting this bar open and I was having a hard time finding a place. But I started to say, let me just get the, I'll get the 
house labeled and because that takes the longest. And I said, when it's meant for me to find a place, I find a place and look what happened. Turn the whole business around. Right. And suddenly you are, you know, a a champagne lady importing <laughs> from, yes, from champagne. Yes, right. <laughs> from champagne and your tasting room is open and PS we're going to have to do an event there. Okay. We're going to have to find a way yes, to do yes. something there. Uh-huh. So that would be amazing. What are you most excited about from this point forward? Um, I'm excited to see how the business evolves over the next couple of years. I don't have hard structure on where I want it to be, but I'm curious to see how it evolves. I feel like I've been fortunate, blessed, and also created an opportunity for myself to where we're at today. I'm landing in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, again, not on my plans. So I want to see how, how, how we evolve as we become discovered by more companies, distributions, and other people wanting to carry and try be Stuyvesant and see where we land up at. Well, if... If the past is any prologue to the future, I will say you've gotten quite a bit of recognition and notoriety. And I imagine that lots of people are going to be knocking on your door asking to carry your... I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think it's going to happen. And Marvina, I really want to thank you for for speaking with us today. I know that... I learned a lot about sort of the, not just the production of champagne, but really what the process is of sort of starting a business and then get pushing through no, right? Pushing through no to get to yes, which is what I really take away from our conversation and a willingness to, to acknowledge things don't always go as you plan for them to, but you have to be able and willing to, to find a way to make it work. Anyway, so, so thank you very much. You know, my team and I spend a lot of time helping dynamically wealthy families think about plan and invest through all the stages of life, no matter what's going on in the market. Mm -hmm. And so I can understand, I can understand what you're, what you're going through to some degree, right? When you, (laughs) when you say this. So if you, if any of the listeners would like to speak with me, my family engagement team, investment strategists, or Mervina, you can reach me at emily.grace at bernstein.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.